It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here on a Sunday afternoon slash evening as you are listening. It is Monday, and got a good episode here for the last position preview of the spring. We have gone through quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers. Today, we are hitting the defensive backs. Very excited to get that. Uh, out to you and uh, a lot of really interesting talking points we got some interesting recruiting talking points that we're going to get to as well if you've been paying attention um, if you have a 24 7 subscription a rivals subscription whatever your preferred service is you have seen a lot of traction on the next couple classes here as far as visits and and stuff so we we have some things i think we want to get to with that as well but Before we do, uh, very important here, there is one week left, uh, about six days, I guess, as you are listening, to get in on the contest we have been running here. If you haven't entered, there is still time, so we will repost the tweet here, but basically we are giving away two t-shirts. They are both from Breaking Tea. It's an NIL-licensed website uh one is a charles brantley interception t-shirt it's uh chuck brantley going up with the one-handed pick against michigan and one is a Jaden reed t-shirt where it's him going up in the snow against penn state um awesome i guess uh website because both of it is is fully licensed nil stuff so it's it's official msu gear so you have like the real logo it's also Uh, money going into the pockets of Jaden Reed and Chuck Brantley. So get in on the contest. All you have to do is leave us a review on Apple and Spotify and or Spotify, I guess. Uh, Follow us on social media. And if you want to retweet the post, if you have a Twitter, uh, you can get entries for doing all of those things. And we will pull the winner following the spring game. So next Monday, as we are recording, you will know who has won one well two different t-shirts so very excited about that make sure you get in on the contest if you haven't already other than that uh scott like i said it's sunday here we were just watching and talking about the masters before we started now if you're listening you already know that probably scotty scheffler is one unless anything crazy happens which we are rooting for but uh other than that how's the weekend going you got to root for scott's when you come across them 
last week we were last episode we were all in on Scott Brown. This episode we're all about Scotty Scheffler. Um, yeah, it's been fun. It, it, we were talking before we got on here. Always, always, especially with the Masters, get the itch to golf. Really, any majors uh, weekend in golf. You know, you always get that itch. I'm not a huge golfer, so I'm not somebody who's golfing every week or every weekend or anything. But you watch the Masters and you just can't help but want to try. And then the first time you go out, you remember why you don't golf much and how good these guys are. But uh, but yeah, no, it's fun. It's always kind of a, a kickoff to spring. You know, you're watching some people do some stuff outside with a lot of green on the TV. Um, baseball's obviously started up this weekend as well. Another spring rite of passage. Uh, the, the, the nice warm weather still hasn't hit us. It's still pretty chilly and windy where I'm at today. So, uh, still waiting on that, but signs of life are starting to trickle through. I'm not a baseball guy at all. I don't, I know I could probably name you three players on this Tigers team. So I'm not the guy to reference here, but Scott, I know you're more of a baseball guy than I am. So with opening day this past weekend, I need your predictions for the Tigers season. And I'm going to hold you to it for the rest of the season. So how many wins-ish are we winning the division? I I don't know anything about this team. All right. Uh, Last year, we won 77. I was, for a while last year, I was hoping we'd be able to hold out for a 500 season. Just started to trickle down below that in kind of the last month or two of the season. Uh, But 77 wins, which was probably better than a lot of folks expected. This year, there's some chatter about making a run at the division, although the White Sox are the, uh, the defending champ, and they took us to task today, 10-1, uh, to 1, to take the series 2-1. to 1. Um, I don't know. It's tough. We're, we're, we're relying on a lot of youngsters. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, the big bat coming up. Riley Green was supposed to come up with him, broke his foot near the end of spring training, so he'll be out a couple months. Um Obviously, the good pitchers from last year, Casey Mize and uh, Tarek Skubal, among others. And and some new guys, some some fresh vets, Javi Baez, Austin Meadows, um, some good bats, some good defense. It's a good team that could come together. Um, I don't think we're going to win the division. I think Chicago is still good enough to take that. I think they're well-rounded enough. They're not in that kind of relying on guys to develop the season you're trying to make a move. So I think Chicago will win the division. I think we'll get second. Uh, if you're giving me, if you're asking for a win total, I'll go with, let's go with 10 more than last year, 87, 87 wins. You folks at home can do the math on how many losses that is. I think it's 77, no, 75 losses, 87 and 75 should, I think be enough for wild card. Let's see. MLB standings last season. For those of you who don't know, we sit around with our computers right in front of us do this kind of thing um, if it's anything i just wanted you to know that if it's anything less than 87 wins i'm taking away a DraftKings check from you so oh pressure. man so 87 not would not have gotten <laughs> us a uh would not have earned a wild card last year we actually would have got like the al east had both wild cards with 92 wins and they had another team with 91 and the AL West had the Mariners with 90. So 87 would have put us in like seventh. So I don't know. I, I got to stick to my guns, 87 and 75. But I guess that that might not even make the playoffs this year. So fingers crossed. They're a little better than I think. Uh, but I think they, they got one more year. 
Uh, maybe they make some moves at the trade deadline and earn a few extra wins down the stretch. But I think this year is all about getting the, that fresh blood up into the pros, getting them comfortable up there, getting them confident. And then next year you hit the ground running and uh, retake that, that top of the division uh, throne. Yeah. So like you said, it's the springtime it's masters it's baseball it's april in the d i don't do they still like i don't live in detroit anymore i don't know if they still do the april in the d commercials those were always good but um i think with how the wings and the pistons have been recently it's not nearly as exciting as it used to be back in the early 2000s when the wings and the pistons would be making their playoff push and the Tigers would be, you know, heading for opening day with like World Series hopes. Like there, there was a run there where Detroit sports were a lot more exciting than they are right now. But it is springtime and spring game is upon us. And we wanted to kind of start off talking about recruiting because the the list of visits, just you know, we haven't had a commitment in a little while here. There is a story that Neither of us know as much about it to bring up any specifics, but if you know, you know, there was a player who we were apparently wanted to commit and uh, the staff told him that that was not in our best interest for some reason. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, uh, not a whole lot of recruiting news recently as far as commitments go, but the visits we have lined up here over the next couple weeks uh, multiple five stars. You have defensive lineman David Hicks. He's from Texas. You have five star running back Ruben Owens. He is from Texas. You have five star safety Peyton Woodyard from California. He was from uh, John Bosco from uh, where Caton Hauser went to school. So maybe a little recruiting there. Peyton Kirkland is a is a four star offensive lineman from Florida. You have. Uh, four-star players, Eno Etta from Texas. He's a defensive end. You have Ryan Yates, the corner from Texas, who's coming up. The The list of players who are coming in, we were kind of talking off air. We, we try not to do the podcast before the podcast, but it's hard not to talk about this stuff. The guys that we are bringing in is really exciting and something that we never really had before. Like, you know, it's it's short sighted to say that D'Antonio never brought in like the top level players because there were some guys that he did. Like William Golston was, I'm pretty sure, like a top ten player in his class. Um, you had Malik McDowell was a really highly rated guy. Uh, Devontae Dobbs and and Julian Barnett, like those were huge recruits that D'Antonio pulled. But the thing is, they were all within the region, right? Like all of the big D'Antonio recruits were either from the state of Michigan or maybe from like Ohio. But to bring in five stars from Texas, from California on visits is something I really can't remember happening under the previous staff. And is it better? Is it worse? I don't really know yet. We'll have to see, but it, it is different and it's definitely exciting. Now you can just see it from scrolling through the message board, scrolling through social media. Like people are amped up about recruiting for the first time in a long time. So, you know, what do you, when, when you start to see these funnel through, when you're just kind of checking 24 seven, you're checking rivals, you're looking through the message boards, you're looking through Twitter and you start to see all of this news. Like, where does your head go? Because I think there's a lot of really interesting angles to go with uh, with the talent that we're bringing on campus, at least to this point. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's obviously a sign of, of a positive trend in the program. Um, I would say last year we had a couple of these names. I wouldn't say to this quantity, but you know, you had guys like um, Armani Winfield and Keonta Goodwin and a couple guys with landed Alex Van Sumeren, um, where it was really exciting. But signing day comes around. You had a circus with Armani Winfield down the stretch. You had a circus and a half with Keonta Goodwin down the stretch. Both ended up being misses. So this season, again, I don't want to sound like I'm not excited, like I'm not feeling good about this, like I don't think this is a good thing for the program. Obviously, having great recruits around your program is a good thing. But to answer your question factually, where does my mind go? My mind goes to, you know, the old adage, one in the hand is better than two in the bush. Um you got to start, you got to land these guys. Like it's really exciting. It feels great as a fan to see these guys around the program, but at the end of the day, you don't win games with recruits taking visits to your campus. You know, you don't build a program around guys being interested in your program. You build a program around bringing great athletes in and developing them. So it's really exciting. Um, I think hopefully we'll enter as, as spring ball kind of concludes and these guys school years come to an end in the next couple months and we enter the summer i hope we'll get into real commitment season and start to land some of these guys but that's where my mind goes um i don't want to get too overly excited obviously i want to be optimistic but not too overly excited before we really see where things hash out um but again great sign for the program you, you said we've had guys like this around, maybe they're regional, maybe on occasion they weren't even regional, but I don't think ever in our lifetime, maybe the Nick Saban days, but recruiting wasn't really followed as closely as it is now. But I can't remember a time when there were just this many guys of that blue chip caliber really interested in this program. Right. And, and that's where it starts getting really exciting because I've always thought that if you are, first of all, if you are expecting Ohio or Michigan state to start recruiting like Ohio state, you're, you're out of your damn mind. That's one of the beautiful things about sports is you can dream about anything. But what I've always thought that Ohio state did really well was the blend that they had between dominating their state and even their region to a certain extent, and then using the rest of the country to kind of fill in the gaps. And in a perfect world, I think that's what what Michigan State would do as well. Because I mean, there's a there's a lot of talent in Michigan every year, right? And you're not going to win national championships by only recruiting Michigan. And you know, we kind of saw that with the previous staff. And I mean, D'Antonio was heavy in Ohio as well, but. You're not going to win national titles only recruiting the Midwest, but there is plenty of talent to build like the foundation of your roster through the Midwest. And last year, the class we had Alex Van Sumeren, Dylan Tatum, Jaden Mangum, Antonio Gates, like foundational players of that class were all of the best players in the class, basically all from the state of Michigan. Like you can recruit, dominate the recruiting game in Michigan as the foundation, but it does still take that 
going to Texas, going to Georgia, going to Florida, going to California, and plucking highly rated guys that other big schools are after, right? There's a difference between polling, um, I don't know, let's say Caleb Coley, right? He's, he's a good example. He's a really good player, and we really liked his tape. He's a three-star player out of the state of Georgia. He had offers from a lot of the big schools. Um, he had offers, I think, from Clemson, from Georgia. Now, you know, I without getting too much into the weeds of the whole recruiting thing, like, was he a quote-unquote take at Georgia? Like, Georgia offered him. Were they really ready to accept that commitment from him? I don't know. I, again, I really like Caleb Coley's tape, but he is ranked in the 24-7 composite as the 43rd ranked player in the state of Georgia, right? Like to really build national title rosters, which is what Mel Tucker is trying to do. You're trying to pull top 40 players in the country, not top 40 players in a talent rich state like Georgia. So the, the fact that we're getting these guys on campus in the first place is awesome. Like you said, it, it's not that exciting until you actually bring him into commitments, but it is what the, the second real off season with Mel Tucker. So, I mean, if this is still something we're talking about three years from now, that's when it starts to become like an actual problem rather than just kind of a talking point. I think right now it's still young enough in the tenure of this uh, staff to just say like, you know what? Hey, we're building, we're building. It's awesome. It's exciting. Um, where you know we don't have to land these guys yet. But again, like it, to your point, if it's still a few years down the line and we we haven't landed them and they're still just kind of visits that don't end up sticking, then it's all right. Let's let's try to figure out what the hell's going on here. But I think it does speak to this staff's commitment to recruiting to to say like these kids are excited enough that they're making visits to Michigan state in, in April rather than going to Alabama or Georgia or Clemson or Texas or Oklahoma or USC. I'm sure they're visiting all those schools as well, but they're making a, a, I don't want to say a commitment obviously, but they're going out of their way to visit Michigan state. And that's something that we just haven't seen a ton of in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, the next few years, if we can turn um, interest into commitments. I mean, it's a, the other thing to, to all this, right. I mean, it, it can sound pessimistic, but you know, you're not going to land commitments from guys like this without first generating interest from guys like this. So I can sit here and say like, Oh, well, we're not landing them yet. So don't get excited. Well, getting interest from them is an improvement. You know, Mel Tucker says, get 1% better. Uh, we've been getting better in recruiting and, and it's obvious it shows by the fact that these guys are, are visiting campus. It's one thing to take a, a you know, a, a visit to a player's home. If you're saying, listen, I'll, I'll take my jet and two of my coaches with me. We'll fly down to Texas to see you. You know, a lot of guys in that situation are going to give the time of day. If you're taking the time out of your recruiting schedule to go down out of your way to see him, you know, they're going to give you the time of day to come in, visit, hear you out. Um, more times than not, but for them to take, especially unofficial visits where they have to pay to come visit. And I, I haven't looked at this list to see how many are official and how many are unofficial, but unofficial visits are on the recruits dime. So um, 
if you see that out of a high level blue chip player taking time out of his calendar, taking money out of his bank account to come look at your program, you can rest assured he actually wants to hear it out because there's legitimate interest in it potentially being a fit for him. Yeah, and it's it's never as linear as it sounds, right? But in theory, the linear steps of first you win some games, then you get some interest from recruits that you previously wouldn't have, and then you get some visits from said recruits, and then you get some commitments from said recruits. Like it's it's never that linear, but there is something to be said about kind of that process and you, we have to remember from last year's recruiting class, uh, which ranked 23rd in the country, according to 24-7, with a lot of, again, pretty high-profile Caten Hauser being in the Elite 11 final, Jeremy Bernard, like some high-level guys. Most of those guys were in hand well before the double-digit win season, right? Like most of those guys were committing following a two and five 2020. So now that there's an 11 win season in hand, that's where things start to get really interesting looking at like a 2023, 2024 classes, because then they've actually seen wins on the field. They've seen a guy damn near uh, get invited as a Heisman finalist. They've seen guys after, you know, less than a month from now, they've seen guys get drafted. Like, the process is starting to to unfold in front of their eyes. And that's when it starts to get really interesting, right? We, we kind of talked about with the last class, like he was selling a vision and that was it. It was just a, a vision. And now you're seeing some of that vision come to life. And how does that affect the, the minds of the recruits, the minds of the families of those recruits as well? So it is exciting. There's a lot of stuff coming coming through. Hopefully, we'll see some commitments come through soon. That would be nice. We've been, I feel like, a little dry here over the last uh, few weeks, even months, on that front. But spring game, lots of visitors coming in. I'm sure you know we'll start to to hear some some news on that front soon. But with all of that, again. It's it's just exciting. It's recruiting stuff. It's exciting. And it is an exciting time of year in general as a sports fan. If you're an NBA fan, NBA playoffs right around the corner here. Get ready for the action by betting the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook. I totally forgot that there is a play-in tournament. The, the sports calendar is just adding and adding and adding. Um, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win. Get $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which you're a proud member. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and restriction, minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. So we 
are going to talk about the DBs today. And I feel like this is a sensitive subject with Michigan State fans after last season, right? It was arguably the reason that we lost one of the two. I mean, the reason we lost the the second of those two games against Ohio State, well, you know, you couldn't fit it all onto a, a 300-page notebook. But you could argue that the reason we lost to Penn State and kind of derailed the, the championship hopes of this season was due Purdue. to the defensive backfield, right? Uh, Purdue, uh, what am I saying? Um, but look, I, I'm going to bring some context into last season, and then we're, we're going to open up the conversation here. We kind of talked about this as the season was going along last year, but I, I do want to open it up because I do think this context is important as we get into the DBs and the performance from last year, right? A lot has been made about how last year, the defensive backs, you know, specifically, but the defense as a whole, allowed the most passing yards per game of any team in the country. And that is absolutely true. And we were last in the country by a pretty wide margin. So last year, uh, the defense allowed 341 passing yards per game. Uh, Second to last was Duke with 335. Third to last, uh, Louisiana Monroe with less than 300. So we were over 40 yards per game more than the third to last team, last place team in the country. Now, I think something that's important to note is that of the offenses that we faced last season, Western Kentucky was first in the country passing yards per game. Ohio State, third in the country passing yards per game. Purdue, fifth. Pitt, eighth. Miami, 11th. Maryland, 15th. Uh, We can even add in Nebraska was 32nd. Penn State was 44th. So of the 13 games we played on the schedule, six of them were against teams who finished in the top 15 in passing yards per game. Um, I think that's important to note because when, when talking about how bad the defense was last year and how Scotty Hazleton should be in a hot seat, and I heard a lot of stuff last season, and all of it revolved around that number of 340 passing game allowed passing yards allowed per game. And I didn't hear a lot of people bring up the fact that six of the 13 games were against teams who just threw the ball a lot. <laughs> like Purdue throws the ball at Western Kentucky throws the ball every play. Like we're going to give up some passing yards. Now, do I think that the passing defense was good last year? No, but I think that context is important. So with that said, Scott, with, you know, we've had some time to breathe following last season We've had some time to kind of sit back, look at some stats, remember some games, watch, even rewatch some games. Um, I don't know, just like scale of one to 10, the performance of the defensive backfield, all encompassing last year, given the context, pass defense, run defense, everything kind of that goes into being a DB. What would you grade the defensive backs from last year with some hindsight? Mm. Um, I'll give them like a five. I mean, it was bad. Uh, run defense was okay. The safeties played okay in the box. 
Um, but it was, I mean, it was, it was ugly at times and it was, the, it was the biggest weakness on the team on both sides of the ball. Um, pretty much the whole year we had a strong team. So that's not to say it was a glaring, horrifying disaster, but it was, it was the worst part of the team. Um, and the frustrating thing is that it didn't always look like the individuals were over their head. A lot of times it felt like the scheme was struggling to connect them. It felt like there was so much space in our defense uh, or over above our defense. Um, You know, it wasn't guys just getting beat one-on-one. It was guys not even knowing where they were supposed to be. And some of that might have to do with the fact that a lot of those guys had never played together, had never played in the scheme. We brought in whatever it was, 23 transfers. I don't remember what the final number was. Um, And Scotty Hazleton runs a scheme that's not the most popular in college you may not or in high school you may not have come across that off you know cover three for the corners nickels playing inside in the slot as a cornerback there's a lot to learn for a lot of these guys and I just don't think it ever really came together last season and as the season went on we were playing harder and harder competition I think we got saved at Penn State because it was snowy and it's really hard to throw the ball in an environment like that and they, especially when own. Sean Clifford is your quarterback <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that team has their own problems um but yeah it just it, it never the team got or the team the season got ahead of that group in terms of development um you had the abbreviated off season did we have an abbreviated off season last year we had spring football no don't listen to me or please keep listening to me but more <laughs> that uh so yeah it was just it just never came together. Um, and I think going into this off season, you know, you just kind of throw the gauntlet down. If you're Mel Tucker, Scotty Hazelton, Harlan Burnett, that whole group, you say, listen, no one's job safe. That was a bad season. It wasn't the worst season in the history of football, but it was a bad season for that group. And, uh, if you want to play, you know, the doors open, go earn your snaps because nobody with the exception of maybe Xavier Henderson is, is guaranteed to be on the field week one. Uh, in the 22 season. Yeah. And, and to your point, we kind of talked about, like, I think a little bit too much was made from the, the transfer portal, all stars, Mel Tucker, but specifically the cornerback position, like that was none of those dudes were on the team in 2020. Like Kalen Gervin, I know it seems like ages ago, but he actually started the first few games of the season. Once Gervin left, I mean, it was Ronald Williams, incoming transfer. It was Chester Kimbrough, incoming transfer. It was Marky Lowry, incoming transfer. It was Chuck Brantley, true freshman. It was Justin White, incoming uh, transfer. Like, the whole group was new, was brand new to the scheme, to, like you said, playing with each other, to the whole damn thing. A lot of a brand new to college football or to college football at this level. Like even uh, Marky Lowry incoming transfer, he wasn't a freshman, but he was a redshirt freshman who didn't play in 2020. So you could effectively call him a freshman as well. Like these guys were all brand new to the positions and brand new to the scheme and brand new to the team. So 
again, we're just trying to add some context here in why the results were what they were. I don't think either of us are saying, like you said, I mean, five out of 10, like, I don't think either of us are saying that it was a good group, but I am of the opinion, at least that it was not nearly as bad as a lot of people made it out to be. And, you know, we talked about the corners there, the safeties. I mean, you mentioned Xavier Henderson. I mean, he's just such an integral part of the leadership of this team that, I mean, if anybody is guaranteed a spot on the the starting lineup, it's probably Peyton Thorne and Xavier Henderson. But the the safeties last year and and going into this year as well, I think again, like you mentioned, the individual talent isn't really the problem as I see it. It's just the way it all fits together. And kind of like you mentioned it with the defensive backs as a whole, like it's not necessarily a problem of like guys just getting torched one-on-one. And it's like, you remember David Dowell who given the right pieces around him was a really productive, was a really good player, but when the pieces around him, especially at corner weren't as good, he got exposed. And whenever he was in any kind of one-on-one situation, he just got torched. And it, that's not really the problem with anybody in this group. It's more a problem of just like, all right, we have a bunch of these individual guys who are talented. We just need to figure out how to put them all on the field at the same time. And we've talked about this plenty between Xavier Henderson and Angelo Gross and Darius Snow. And they're like, all right, here's three really talented safeties who are all really good at what they do. But how do you get them all on the field at the same time? Because they all kind of do the same thing. And that's going to be a problem again going into this season that you could argue it's one of those like, hey, it's a good problem to have. You have three guys who are really good, but it is still a problem because none of them can play that single high role. None of them can play back behind the defense and and roaming over the top and, and with that range to go make plays when quarterbacks are trying to throw the ball downfield and, and make quarterbacks fear throwing the ball down the field because you have a safety that's coming over the top, you know, out of nowhere to make those plays. You just don't have that guy right now. Maybe Jaden Mingham's that guy. Uh, that's kind of my like incoming uh, freshman crush because I think he could be that and, and it could be really exciting for the defense, but it's again, like the safeties in the corners. It's kind of the same problem. It's you have a bunch of guys who are individually talented. Now we just have to figure out how to fit them all together and, and you know make the best artwork we can out of out of the ingredients that we have. So I don't know what what the real starting lineup comes out to be we talked about it with the front seven like is the scheme going to be changing a little bit more than we think it will i don't know but there's certain talent there 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 is definitely talent there that that just has to be molded in that right way well i'm gonna make you guess the starting lineup anyway because that's what spring podcasting is all about um so we'll break this up here because we didn't give our humble listeners here a uh Incoming and outgoing. Um, so incoming, we have actually right now on the roster, Kevin, I'll let you guess on this. How many rostered defensive backs do you think we have? Uh, I have the roster up, but it's too many to count. I would guess 15. 23 rostered defensive backs. 
So like you said, there's not a shortage of, of talent, at least in volume. Um, maybe the quantity over quality approach at this point in developing a team is, is the best way to go. But a lot of the really exciting players are youngsters. You've got freshmen just fresh on campus this year. Uh, Dylan Tatum will still waiting to see exactly what position he'll play, but we're expecting he'll be a defensive back. He's listed as generically as a defensive back right now. Got a couple of freshmen in Aid Willie and Caleb Coley at corner. And then over at the safety position, you mentioned Jaden Mangum comes in. Um, So you've got four true freshmen already on campus from this latest recruiting class. I was going to say, yeah, those guys are all on campus for the spring. Again, showing that I would presume the staff said there are snaps to earn. Get on campus this spring and you can earn them. You also have Malik Spencer, safety from Georgia, coming in. Uh, He's not on campus yet. You have safety who's expected to potentially turn into a linebacker when he gets to campus, Quavian Carter from Leesburg, Georgia. And then you have Malcolm Jones, another safety not on campus yet, coming up from Georgia. So a trio of Georgia safeties yet to arrive on campus, all three-star prospects. Um, So ton of fresh On top of that, you missed the perfect segue Defensive back from Georgia, uh, corner Amir Speed, who we haven't mentioned yet, coming in from yes. Georgia, who likely, you know, maybe previewing our starters' predictions, likely will be a starting corner on the X receiver on the other team. Week one, uh, he's one of those spring ball. Uh, I don't want to call it a crush, more spring ball stars so far. You know, one of the guys that gets on campus and everybody kind of takes a double take like, oh, that's the guy they've been talking about. Everybody's saying two things. One, yes, he is as big as everybody said, a six foot three corner, 210. I was so bizarre. Not only is is he six three, he's 210 pounds, dude. He's got an inch and 25 pounds on Ronald Williams. That is just absurd. Huge. And, uh, you know, at, at a cor- at a position like corner, it's all about quickness, flipping your hips quickly, recovering, recovery speed, acceleration. I, I'm really interested to see how it looks on the field because just it, it seems too big to play that position. I'm not an expert. Um, so we'll see. Obviously, size is good if it doesn't become a problem. And the second thing everybody's saying about Amir Speed is that, yes, his name, his last name proves to be true. The dude is fast. So I don't know. He could be an enigmatic cornerback. You'd think if a guy with that size and, and this rumored speed can technically play the position well, he would be a star. But begs the question he's his sixth year right i mean he wasn't a talent stack georgia program but that's kind of size and speed if he can play well you got to wonder why he needed a new home Um, and and i for people who like are obsessively following college football like i am georgia's defense last year was absolutely insane the corners weren't like that great it was it was the front seven that did all of the damage and like if you watch the sec title game when alabama was able to block for bryce young 
when he was throwing the ball down the field, like the corners were, I, they they weren't an issue, but they don't have first round no brainer corners that it was like, all right, this guy can't get on the field because they have two first rounders there. So that there is something to be said for that. Like if I know he started three games last season, but then was was replaced. I think there's something that we should question there of like, you know, we shouldn't just assume that this guy's going to come in and be an all American. Yeah. So, I mean, he only played 336 snaps in five years at Georgia. Um, For you mathematicians out there, that's not a huge number. Um, Not a tiny number either. I would still say he's an experienced player, but yeah, I mean, you got to wonder, right. And uh, big 10 wide receivers, by and large, maybe not quite as talented as SEC wide receivers, but you're certainly going to run into plenty of individuals who are going to test every bit of your ability, both physically, technically, mentally. Um, so we'll see. But it's exciting. And to, to hear that, he, yes, he is as big as everybody says, as fast as everybody says, it's exciting. And with the defensive back play we had last year, we'll take excitement from that group, even if it's Hopefully not, but even if it's short-lived. Um, but to bring it back here to to the roster, you obviously have some other youngsters returning. You mentioned some of them already. Um, Charles Brantley. You've got um, Marky Lowry, both going to be sophomores. Marky Rowley, Lowry, a redshirt sophomore. Um, and a few more mixed-in juniors and seniors. Obviously, the familiar faces, Ronald Williams, uh, Chester Kimbrough, who may or may not be moving to nickel. Um, and yeah, a good mix. Kendall Brooks even started to come on last year in, in some desperate situations um, as the injuries started to mount along with the poor play. Um, Blitz specialist Justin White. Can't forget about him. Yeah, and uh, special teams Gunner. I think he could really be one. You know, every few years, one of those special teams guys comes along where everybody just kind of acknowledges like, yeah, he's not built to play on one of the two main sides of the ball, right? He's not an offensive player. He's not a defensive player. But like this man is just built to play special teams. Justin White is absolutely that guy. Just fast, flies around the field, loves to just smash into people, has a nose for the football uh, in those situations. And, and sometimes that's just the role that, that, that guys are built for, you know, on the football field. And I think Justin white, he could be one of those guys where like, all right, we have to punt darn offense. Didn't get the job done, but I'm going to watch Justin white as a gunner on this snap. And I'm a little bit excited to see us punt this ball because of him. Um, keep an eye out for that. Maybe he'll surprise us and get on the field a little bit undersized. He's only five, eight. I think that's going to hold him back. Um, but then turning to the safety position, I think this is really the strength of the defensive backs. You've got returning starters, Xavier Henderson, Angelo Gross, Darius Snow was on and off starter last season. Um, I think those will be our three starting safeties, at least to start the year. You mentioned, we don't really know where. And, and one thing about Xavier Henderson, he, I always think of him as kind of that box safety right? He plays a little bit lower, but over the top. When you look at, I don't have the statistics in front of me, so forgive me, but when you look at the different alignments that he plays in, it paints a very different picture. Yes, the majority of his snaps are at strong safety, but he plays in the slot. He plays 
basically as a stand-up end, as a blitzer. He plays over the top. He even lines up outside on occasion uh, as basically a corner. It's really surprising to see his versatility, and I don't think it comes out as much in game film as as when you really start to dig into it. Kevin, I remember you, this might have been right at the end of the season or mid-season or or even last off-season going through that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's tons, tons of versatility in these safeties. And that's only the top three. You got guys that we met already mentioned coming up behind them that are, that are going to be clamoring for playing time. And I think probably for good reason. And, and you already said that the big question is how do you get all this talent at the safety position onto the field in positions where they can be successful? Yeah, I, so I have this pulled up here, um, Xavier Henderson last year, this is according to PFF. He lined up, this is is his snaps by alignment last season as they qualified them. Free safety, 500 snaps. Box safety, 325 snaps. Slot corner, 150 snaps. Uh, Nine snaps on the defensive line. 10 snaps as a wide corner. So to your point there, he's somebody who has lined up all over the place for Michigan State over the last, uh, Jesus, it feels like 10 years he's been there. Uh, Similar kind of deal for Angelo Gross too, right? 675 snaps at free safety, 239 snaps uh, in the slot, 84 snaps in the box. So you have a couple of these guys who just lined up everywhere and you just versatility is great, but I, I was listening to a, an NFL draft podcast. I don't even remember which one it was at this point, but they made a, a really interesting point that versatility is great when it's a secondary feature. If versatility is your best feature as a player, as a prospect, that just tells me that you're not that good. Because like it's like, yeah, he's, he's kind of good at everything. It's like, no, no, no. Tell me what he's great at. It's like, well, he's great at being good at a lot of things. Like, you know, you have to have that one calling card that it's like, this guy is great at doing this. And it's just like, we have a bunch of guys who are really good at a bunch of stuff. Um, same thing. I have Darius Snow pulled up here, too. He was 450 snaps in the slot, 112 snaps in the box, 65 snaps at free safety. Like, what's the calling card for these guys? What's the thing where it's like, damn, this guy is is really good in man coverage. This guy is really good at, at you know, just interpreting zone defense. This guy is really good at this. And the only thing that comes up with snow and with uh, Xavier Henderson for me is tackling, which is really important, but I mean, Xavier Henderson and Darius snow, we, we kept bringing it up last year. It felt like those guys didn't miss a tackle all season long. And that's huge. That is really important. But as a, as a defensive back, you're like, you're waiting for them to make more plays in coverage. And I just, haven't really seen that enough to this point and pf i i really don't like pff grades i'm just going to put them out here as an interesting talking point 
Um, Darius Snow last year in run defense was graded at an 88, which is really high. In coverage, he was graded at a 60. Um, I'll pull up the safeties here because uh, he's listed as a corner for some reason. Again, PFF College, it's not perfect. Um, but you had Xavier Henderson, who in run defense was uh, was graded as a 77, in coverage as a 61. Angelo Gross in coverage was graded as a 57. And like, again, I don't love PFF's grades, but just it kind of lines up with what we saw, right? This, these were guys when they faced a ball carrier, they wrapped up. They didn't allow any more yards. They were really good at tackling. They were really good at shedding blockers even to get to the tackle point. But when it came to coverage, we just didn't see enough plays. And when you're safety you got to have a handful of plays during the season that you're making plays on the ball. You're taking balls away. You're, you're making turnovers happen. And just, just didn't see that. And we need to see more of that this year. So that begs the question, right? Um, are we going to see a new face at safety this year at some point? And I think the two guys that are going to, well, I'll give you two guys, but there could be more. Uh, Jaden Mangum and Dylan Tatum, both, stud recruits coming in two of the most exciting high school tapes that you'll see play a different brand. I think Dylan Tatum maybe gravitates more towards kind of a slot corner safety nickel hybrid Jaden Mangum. I know you're excited about as a potential free safety, maybe brings a little bit of a fresh, uh, you know, a fresh look to this secondary and, and you got to figure out which of the other three guys is, is maybe just going to have to take a step back because we're, we're trying to put, you know, square pegs and round holes. Um, are we going to see somebody like that? There's other guys too. I think that the most overlooked are red shirt freshmen, right? It's so easy to get excited about the new freshmen to get excited about the guys who had real, a real chance at playing time last season. But you got a guy like AJ Kirk, who was a pretty good re- recruit in his own right. Um, he's entering his redshirt freshman year as a safety. He just straight up redshirted last year. Um, do you see a name like that start to bubble back up? Constantly overlooked in these redshirt freshmen, like Cal Halliday last year, redshirt freshman, right? You've, you're removed enough from his recruitment that you kind of forgot about him a little bit because he's not a five-star or anything. Um, but he's got a year under his belt maybe put on some muscle, get the playbook down, and uh, and they surprise you. And every year there's guys like this, maybe a safety position where we're looking for a little bit of a different skill set um, to play better in coverage, like you said. Maybe that's a position we see in a fresh face, and maybe an Angelo Gross uh, takes a step back, or maybe Darius Snow just uh, fills in behind Xavier Henderson, waiting his turn at that box safety position rather than trying to be a jack of all trades or maybe you know as we've talked about in the previous episode maybe finds a home as as kind of a hybrid linebacker a little bit more this season depending on what the defense looks like so i think the safety safeties are intriguing i think it's exciting because there's so many experienced and versatile guys but like you said you can't have a bunch of don kelly's running around your defensive backfield just being utility men like at a certain point you got to be the dude and you got to know what you do well, and you got to do that thing well. And, uh, and yeah, at the safety position, I think we got to start to see that. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a high floor for this group, but still kind of trying to figure out what the ceiling is for this safety group. 
I we will we'll bring in because I I do have a, an answer. This is kind of a leading question. When it comes to the depth chart, ignoring injuries, taking injuries out of it because that's something we just can't predict. Is the starting group week one the same as it is in week twelve? No, I mean, like you said, it's a leading question. Uh, week one, I think you're going to go with the safe route. Uh, the guys you're more, a little bit more comfortable with, and especially not true freshmen. Nothing against true freshmen. Just starting them week one is a terrifying place to put your chips. It's asking for trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think especially against, no offense, but weaker competition. And who do we play week one? It's it's not Washington's Western, week three. Western right? Michigan. So, Decent team, but it's it's a MAC team and it's a game you should win. Uh, you you put your experienced guys out. You let the freshmen get a feel for game day, get a feel for being in the stadium in front of a crowd. You know, wearing your your game day jerseys and all that excitement and all those nerves. And you start to pepper them in, but you don't give them the start. So yeah, I think, um, especially with the corners, but the safeties as well. I I think you're going to have an experienced group out there to start. And uh, and I think we'll have one or two new faces by the season's finish. Yeah, that's that again. It was a leading question, but that's that's where I'm at as well. I think that I can't get out. I can't get the idea of Jaden Mangum out of my head. I just I don't know what it is, man. But watching his tape, he shows that special ability to. that range over the top where you think he's out of a play. And then all of a sudden it's that idea, you know, the, the amount of times you're watching a football game and somebody comes over the top and whether they make the interception or they bat a ball away and you're like, where did that guy come from? That guy came out of nowhere. And it's these guys who play with that insane range at the free safety spot. And I just think he might have that. And nobody else on the roster has that. So he has that ceiling that could really boost this defense to another level. And I just, I, I'm more just speaking it into existence, but I think by the end of the season, he will have the whole spring under his belt. He'll have the spring game. He'll have all of fall camp. And then throughout the season, like practices in the season matter too. And I think just by the end of the season, he'll find a way to get on the field and and he'll make a couple plays that make the coaching staff say, you know what? He's a young player. He's going to make mistakes, but this could be a building block that that we're really excited about. I do think. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say expand on this and give me your five. If all these defensive backs fulfill the potential you think they might have for this season. Give me your top five, and I'll let you platoon the nickel. You can give me two or three guys there because I know it's going to be very situation dependent on that last position. But give me your top four plus like a two or three man platoon at nickel. Uh, if all these guys on this roster turn into what you think they could be just by the end of this year, yeah, I I do think, and um, Harlan Barnett was talking about this. 
the idea of Amir Speed and Ronald Williams lining up on the outside at six foot two and six foot three. Both of them have, I would be interested to see their wingspan because both of them are, they're not just tall. They have really long arms, even for their height. That is, remember the, those great Seahawks teams and it was the safeties primarily. It was, it was Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, but you had Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner and they were both over six, two. I think Brandon Browner was like six, four playing corner, but you could just lock dudes up in press coverage because when you have like a six, three corner with long arms and he's coming up to press you, especially in college, I mean, what are you supposed to do against that? So I, man, I really like the idea of those two lining up on the outside. So I Williams and speed on the outside and I do think because Brantley is is just he projects really well as an outside corner and Williams and Speed are gone after this year. So I do think a guy like Brantley and and to that point, Marquis Lowry as well, they're going to get a lot of snaps. Like it's not like the the staff is just gonna set these two out there and, and let them ride the whole year. Like Brantley and Lowry, they're gonna rotate in, they're gonna get their snaps because I think the staff knows these are two. Uh, potential building block kind of guys for the next few years as well. But again, to your question, if we're just talking 2022 ceiling speed and Williams are your more experienced, are your higher ceiling players for this season. Then I think I would go Xavier Henderson as more of your box safety. And let's say Jaden Mangum as, as your free safety. Uh, And then in the slot, you're going to roll some kind of combination of Darius Snow. Uh, again, we talked about him. He's he's playing linebacker for a lot of this spring. Like he's going to rotate around the defense a bit. I bet I think, and uh, and Angelo Gross, who I think is really good in the slot. For as as much as he struggled at free safety last year, he's still really good in the slot, and I think that's his best role on the team. So that would be the group that I would roll with as far as the highest ceiling for this year. I don't think that's what it's going to shake out to be, or I'm not really sure if that's what it's going to shake out to be. But if you're asking me, that's the highest ceiling group for this season. Yeah, I I like it. I'm not going to expand too much on that because I generally agree. The cornerbacks with um, Williams and, and speed is interesting. I wonder if they're too similar to cover kind of, let's say you, you run into a team with kind of a possession bigger receiver and and then a speed guy on the other side. Um, How do those two guys hold up in the open field? I think it's a great red zone tandem, right? If you're just trying to blanket the, uh, you know, those fade routes to the corners, you got, you got the end line at your back. So, you know, you're not going to get the top blown off the defense and you don't need safety help. I think that's a great group, but if you're starting a drive and you've got Amir speed out there and Ronald Williams, granted, Amir speed is supposedly fast, but I wonder if a 210, if he can turn his hips fast enough. And, right. And There's a difference between routes. straight line speed and quickness, right? Like right. he can be fast without being quick. And I really hope that that's not the case, but it's possible. Yeah. So I think there may be a platoon at corner as well. You mentioned guys like Chuck Brantley and Marquis Lowry will be, will be sprinkled in Chester Kimbrough. I don't think he has said his, his final lines yet as a Spartan. I think he'll certainly be in the mix. Um, 
so yeah, but but generally I agree. I think that those five or six names that you mentioned will be the real core of this uh defense by the by the end of the season. I really want one of those rangy safeties. As I look at this, I think the corners will find the best fits and, and the, the pieces will fall into place. I don't know exactly how good the group will be, but I think there's there's natural fits. Safety, there's just so much talent, but like you said earlier, it just doesn't feel like we've made the puzzle pieces fit yet. And I really, I, I think that's the one thing we're lacking. We can do nickel, we can do box safeties. Can we find a guy who can play the middle of that cover three and just find the ball, make plays, and and make it hard to play over the top on us. Because last year, especially going into the end of the year, quarterbacks were looking at those seams against whoever was playing that middle safety, and they were feasting on those routes. Early in the year, it was a lot of quick stuff underneath stuff, guys breaking tackles. Later in the year, they just started to gash us, and, and we can't have that for a second year in a row. So I hope we've got the personnel, and I hope we get the scheme sorted out and uh, and that gets cleaned up. Yeah, that's that deep third single high. That's what really unlocks a cover three. And that's what, again going back to those Seahawks teams. Earl Thomas was the heart and soul. As much as Richard Sherman got all the publicity because he was the loudest guy of the group, or that that Super Bowl and those Super Bowl runs don't happen without Earl Thomas, who was the prototype cover three free safety, who just had stupid range right when a when a quarterback was thrown outside the numbers he would get there effortlessly and that's what unlocks that cover three defense because that quarterback has to second guess every throw he's making down the field because he's wondering can can he get there can he make this play on the ball like i i don't know if i should throw this one let me check it down or something like that's what really unlocks it and uh and and mangum has that ceiling is he going to be ready this season? That's a, there's a whole lot to be determined in that front, but he is on campus for for this spring, and I think that is a huge help to him and and that possibility. He's getting that coaching, he's getting that experience, going up against you know guys like Jaden Reed every day. That, that definitely helps as as far as uh, his development and his progression. So really excited to see how that all shakes out. A defensive back group that well. Let's be honest, last year they struggled, but again, it's not because of a lack of individual talent, and hopefully we will see that play out a little bit more here this season. So Thursday we'll be back with a defensive mailbag. So as you're listening, if any questions have popped into your head about the defense as a whole, you can get those in as soon as you want to. You can send them to us on Twitter. Uh, the links are in the bio. You can post in our Facebook page. That's the Standing Room Spartans community. Shoot, you can send us an email, standingroomspartans at gmail.com. I always forget that we have an email because I only really use it for like business stuff. But if you guys want to send us an email with any questions, like if you don't have Twitter and you feel left out of the mailbag stuff, send us an email, standingroomspartans at gmail.com. We're going to have a mailbag on Thursday. So um, think of some questions as far as the defense goes. Send them to us whenever. We'll post a tweet like asking for for questions. But some pops into your head right now. Feel free to shoot it over uh, before you forget about it. Uh, Thursday, we are also going to do the specialists. Look, I I would be remiss. I I would kick myself off of the podcast if I went through a whole position preview series 
and didn't do the specialist, that would be very off brand for me. So I love the specialists. We're going to get to them. That'll be kind of the opener on Thursday before we get to that mailbag. So anything else before we get out of here and I can go back to the masters here, Scott, if you consider yourself a creative person likes to kill two birds with one stone, put your mailbag question in an Apple podcast review and we'll see the review before the episode. We will answer your mailbag question and you'll get an entry into our contest. So obviously all the other rules apply. You got to be following us. You got to be subscribed to the show, but great way to, uh, yeah, get your question answered, get a chance at one of those awesome t-shirts. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Multiple birds, one stone. That's basically the dream. So, Really appreciate everybody for listening. Stay in tune with us through this off season. I know it's uh, it's a long off season, and as people who are just talking football, this was kind of something we we're just kind of testing out over the last couple of years, and we've been pretty happy with how many people are interested in it. So uh, it's it's really exciting to just talk Michigan State football all season long. I'm pretty sure we're the only people doing it. So it's been really fun. We've we've really appreciated the support. If you can share with your friends, like, look, the spring game is coming up, and I know that you're talking with your buddies about, hey, I'm sure a lot of you will be at the spring game, and you're driving up for the spring game, and you're talking with your buddies about recruiting and stuff. Just, you know, give us a little plug. Say, hey, you know, there's this podcast I've been listening to, and they only talk about Michigan State football. So, um, you know, share us with your friends, with your family. Really appreciate that as well. Little shout-outs here and there. Uh, really help us. So all of that said, it's time to get out of here. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll see you again on Thursday. Until then, go green, go white. Take care, folks.